I just well, got so emo, I fell apart. That's what actually happened. You got that sad? Yes. Welcome to So Emo, I Fell Apart. This is a podcast dedicated to all things emo and pop punk from the naughty oddies. And today, I am one of your hosts, Freya. And I am your other host, Chloe. And we're hags. <laughs> <laughs> what what yeah. makes us... Co- what makes us specifically, Chloe, qualified to talk about this shit? I am specifically qualified to talk about this shit because I was at Warp Tour in 2006. That's a pretty big one. That's a pretty big <laughs> mark on your resume. Um, my, I think mine biggest credential would be that I was at one of the, like, the first couple bamboozles that ever happened. Yeah. No, that's so. a big one. That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> So not only are we going to, like, get into history of, like, what actually happened in the scene, uh, we're also going to get into some fun stuff like lyric analysis, music video analysis, but more importantly, like, cultural climate stuff. And also, if you are fucking entrenched in live journal bandom shit, this is the pod for you. Basically, if you ever had, like, a really shitty haircut when you were 14, and if your eyeliner just, like, looked like garbage... It's for you. <laughs> and you know that it was the Rimmel London scandalized back when they still sold Rimmel here <laughs> in the United States. Uh, they still do sell it in Canada, actually. All right. Well, that's what you guys get for still having the queen on your money. So, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's the trade we made. Yeah. You get Rimmel London and, <laughs> you know, vestiges of a colonial power. Anyway. <laughs> um <laughs> So we're primarily, like, our area of focus is going to be talking about third wave emo and the culture surrounding third wave emo, which if you guys are, obviously, if you're listening to this, you probably know exactly the kind of area that we're talking about. It's, you know, the Fueled by Ramen stuff. It's the My Chemical Romance stuff. And their bands in law. And their bands in law. Like, that's what we're dealing with here. Of course, we're probably going to talk about stuff from first and second wave email and definitely stuff going on today. But we were not 16 then. Yeah. <laughs> we were 16 when this was in its prime. So, And also probably a lot of stuff that arguably is not emo. Uh, a lot of these bands were maybe post-punk or post-hardcore and just kind of all got swept up into the same, you know, scene or area or category on MySpace. Mm-hmm. Like... Why did From First to Last tour with the Hush Sound? Those are sonically very different <laughs> groups. Uh, but, you know, that is just how it was working back then. <laughs> yeah, it, they were second cousins, like, once removed, that they had to go to the family reunion. Exactly. Like, it Basically, if they were on a billing at Warp Tour together, a billing at Bamboozle or Taste of Chaos together, that's kind of... It's the one big emo soup, okay? It's just one big pot of soup, the stone soup of like alternative music. You you put some screamo in there, some post hardcore in there, you put some pop punk in there, you put some emo in there, and it's it's just the scene. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm not going to be arguing semantics with anyone who's like, that's no that's not emo. I'm like, shut up. Like, yeah, I know. I know. I'm aware. I know. I don't I know, care. You want me to list off every <laughs> single genre? every single solitary genre to like make it as specific as possible no with emo and pop punk is an absolute catch-all for everything they're gonna be talking about yeah i'm simply not going to be doing a pitchfork review on this podcast no or anywhere else. not in this life anywhere else <laughs> in my life 
<laughs> no, not in the slightest. When Halsey said, can the fucking building that they run Pitchfork out of collapse already, she was right. Mm -hmm. And I stand by that. Yes, absolutely. So we wanted to start off this pod with kind of like a good foundational history lesson, a good foundational cultural lesson, because we're primarily, again, going to be talking about the bands that were on Fueled by Ramen and Decadence. Boop, 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 boop. That is actually you know, what we're subject, talking about today. Subject matter alert. We're going to be talking about the foundation of Decadence. So let's get into it. What is Decadence for 200, Alex? Well, Decadence was the imprint of Fueled by Ramen. Uh, it was a record label that was started by Pete Wentz in 2005 because Pete Wentz found out that uh, he had influence in the scene. Shocking, you know. And also <laughs> that he had the idea to start incorporating more genres than just, the, you know, your typical emo, pop punk, whatever. Especially when he heard those little rap scallions out of Las Vegas. Panic at the disco. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we're pulling a lot of info that we've got on Decadence from the uh, oral history of Decadence that was posted to the45.com. Um, it was an interview with a ton of like the main players of Decadence. Uh, it's as told by Pete Wentz, Travis McCoy, Gabe Supporta, Spencer Smith, and a few more people. They got like Pete Wentz's manager in there. Uh, mm -hmm. They got Nothing Nowhere in there. And it's really interesting to see it told in their own words and to kind of get new perspective on what was going on in 2005. Like, I always remember when Decadence first became a thing that I almost, like, preferred the bands that were coming out of Decadence versus just solely Fueled by Ramen. Because I feel like at a certain point, especially within that time frame of 2000, maybe 2006 to 2009, they were signing a bunch of bands that were not good. <laughs> and in my own opinion, that was, that's a that's a hard call to make, but... At a certain point, all the bands that were getting signed to Feel by Ramen all kind of just sounded the same. Oh, yeah. I hate to call out the na name names, but a Rocket to the Moon, This Providence, Swellers, y'all all sounded the same in 2008. Mm -hmm. And everything that was going on at Cadence, like, within Feel by Ramen was far more interesting than anything else that was going on oh, yeah, at Feel by Ramen at that time. Like, it felt like Feel by Ramen was almost trying to... They were like, okay, we found success with Fall Out Boy. Let's do this 10 more times. Mm -hmm. uh, which, like, I can't really blame them for. And some of those bands were, like, legitimately quite good, even though most of them have, at this point, like, fallen off the map. Or the or the dudes are just doing, like, solo artist things yeah. now. Yeah, exactly. And Decadence was really Pete finding shit that had nowhere else to go that didn't make sense mm -hmm. signed to any other label and, like, giving that a home. Like, you listen to the stuff that was on Decadence, and it really doesn't fit within any genre, really, of what we're discussing, besides just, like, scene-adjacent, because everything was incredibly unique. Mm -hmm. I can't name a band on Decadence that didn't also need, like, several, like, commas and slashes to describe their sound. Oh, yeah. Completely. And do we want to get into kind of how he decided to start it? Because it starts with Gym Class Heroes. But it really takes right. off with panic. Yeah. Let's get into that. Yeah. So in the oral history of Decadence, uh, Pete Wentz mentions that he heard Gym Class Heroes, uh, this song Taxi Driver, in late 2004. Uh, if you haven't heard it, Taxi Driver is a Gym Class Heroes song that name drops basically every 
emo pop punk post hardcore band that was like big at the time from like Thursday to like they will know us by the trail of the dead to my chem to fallout boy co-heating um, cambria thrice oh yeah at the early november like everybody and we're even name dropping indie bands in this song too like they mentioned stars yeah yeah it's just every single band that you can think of from first second third wave onward it is basically the oral history of emo uh truncated into one really fucking good song so yeah. if you haven't listened to Papercut chronicles and specifically taxi drivers you are not doing your dull uh, due <laughs> diligence as a former emo hag or currently emo hag gotta do it yeah and the thing that kind of set that apart was that this wasn't a pop punk or an emo band like they were doing hip-hop but with a live band mm -hmm. so there was nothing like this at the time, like, that was big in the same way that, like, I don't know, there was nothing like this on the radio, you know? You weren't mm -hmm. turning on MTV and hearing somebody rapping over, like, live drum, bass, guitar. This wasn't happening. So Pete was listening no. to these guys and thinking, like, what can I do to make this big? He said he started talking to John Janik, who was, like, the head of Fuel by Ramen at the time, and asking him if they could do a boutique label or like a vanity label that like didn't have the same expectations as Fueled by Ramen. Uh, he said now people would say it was a little more curated, but at the time it was like creating a clubhouse. Like he really wanted just to make kind of a space where him and these artists that he was drawn to could create their art. And you could tell the difference between the Decadence artist artists and the level of and caliber of creative freedom that they were given and then displayed versus other bands on Fueled by Ramen at the time. And also like any other like label <laughs> oh, yeah. that was going on it was just like so fucking cool what they were doing and especially gym class here was like gym class was truly and honestly my gateway drug into realizing like hey actually rap and hip-hop is good you just need to get your head out of your ass and stop being mad that people like things that are popular oh yeah fully and this is getting into the weeds a little bit of like my own personal experience but like it felt like there was very and this is just high school i guess but it was mm -hmm. very like you like this thing you have to like this thing and especially within emo it was very like if you're stepping out and liking pop or if you're stepping out and liking rap and hip-hop you have lost all of your emo credential you don't know what you're talking about you know you absolutely had to, like you really had to be genre exclusive and Decadence, like, especially with Gym Class Heroes, felt like giving permission to emo kids to, like, go out and find something new and still be part of the scene. Especially, like, I don't know, like, to black kids, you know? Like, mm -hmm. when I look at my own high school friend group, that was mostly black and brown girls who were all into emo music and who, like, mm -hmm. didn't see themselves in it. So this was a big deal. Yeah. And also, I think this comes in the wake of what's interesting you bring up about having to be genre specific and you're not allowed to like things outside of the thing that you've decided to prescribe yourself to which is basically the whole point of the 16 candles music video yeah with the turf war where you have you know <laughs> the the emo dudes and you have the dandies and then you have the um i think they would probably just like have called them gangsters back then which i feel yucky I, to say now i feel but, I like i feel like people on live journal were calling them like the hood vampires <laughs> Which felt so bad. It even wasn't then. good. <laughs> it wasn't good, but that kind of is what Pete was doing. But it's like really especially interesting that Pete's first inclination was to bring in 
you know, gym class for the draw of hip hop combined with rock. Because, like, a lot of people who are not deeply into Fall Out Boy don't realize that Pete is black. And it's a really important facet of, like, Pete's interaction with the scene and Pete's, you know, approach to writing lyrics and his personal, like, values within hardcore and then pop punk. So it's really important, I feel, that Gym Class was the first one that was was the band that inspired him to start. Cadence, which like Jonathan Daniel, who again was Pete Wentz's manager, said in that oral history that Pete was drawn to hip hop, especially the lifestyle and the way rappers had to crew other rappers. That's where the label and clothing label Clandestine Industries came from. At the time, Fall Out Boy was a pretty small band, relatively speaking. They could headline small clubs, but Decadence was a bold idea full of wild ambition, which I think is one of Pete's best assets. Yeah. And like for Travis to like continue on with that and say like that was the aim, you got Death Row, you got G Unit. He wanted the pop punk emo version of that. And like, I don't know, like this is also like my own personal baby history is that like when I was in elementary school, like before I went to high school and was introduced to new classmates who introduced me to new music, what me and the girls that I went to school with were listening to was like Death Row and G Unit. Mm -hmm. Like that's what I had. I had like when 50 Cent's album came out, that's what I had in my Walkman. That's all I listened mm-hmm. to. And so, I don't know, when I was like, okay, like, this is a new kind of music that I'm maybe connecting with a little bit more because I can relate to it a little bit more. And then Pete is doing something that, like, I kind of recognized from my past mm-hmm. experience with music. I was like, oh, yeah, no, like, I know about, like, hip-hop collectives. Like, I've seen mm-hmm. this before. And it just kind of made sense that that's what he would be doing. And it didn't necessarily click with me right away that this was something out of the ordinary for pop punk because i was so new to yeah them. like this set the standard for me of what labels should act and look like and then when other labels didn't follow accordingly with what decadence was doing i was like wait what do you mean you guys don't all like hang out all the time and you know collaborate with one another and also are so far up each other's asses that all you can do is talk about one another like what do you mean you're not besties <laughs> Like, yeah, because, like, I don't know, like, Hopeless, like, that was the other big label mm-hmm. at the time. Who fearless. Hopeless and Fearless, yeah. <laughs> like, those were, like, the other two, like, really big emo labels. Epitaph was big. Yes. Yeah, Epitaph. Like, none of the artists on those labels seemed to be actively building a community in quite mm-hmm. the same way. And, like, this was something that I think is so smart of Pete. And, like, like this was something that no one else has really done before or since except for like literally k-pop artists which is to create this like almost an empire Mm -hmm. out of being friends to really kind of market that by having like all your bands tour together all your bands do videos Mm -hmm. together all your bands like do their podcasts together because like the academy has had a podcast like before podcasts were what they are now they had us watching little vlog series like TITV yeah. that were partially scripted, partially, you know, ver- it was like variety content meets real world vlogging. And then, you know, I don't see any other artists doing that besides K-pop. And like that combined with like MySpace and uh, BuzzNet, which fully doesn't exist nope. anymore. Rest but, like, <laughs> The level of accessibility that they had, like it really felt like you not only relate to them, but, like, you're friends with them. Yes, absolutely. And, like, not so much in... I mean, definitely in, like, a parasocial Mm -hmm. relationship way, but also, like, in, like, 
that you would go to shows and they were small enough that you were talking to these guys after. Yeah, and it and it didn't like, feel like there was an impenetrable wall between you two, which sometimes there maybe should have been. <laughs> Let's be real. Sometimes there should have been. Like, I went to an all-time low secret show that was an acoustic set in a bar that was so small that me and my friends were fully, like, sitting on the stage. Yeah. Like, you just, you can't do that anymore. No, and, like, I even remember when, because um, I was at this time too young to be friends with the dudes and bands and even like i realized that like hey i am 13 14 i should not be trying to befriend dudes who are you know 23 24 25 that's not my that's not oh, my yeah. gig <laughs> but my my stepsister was old enough to do that at the time so i would hear about all the stories and every once in a while like she would become friends with a couple of dudes and bands and stuff um and I would get introduced, mm-hmm. and thank God they all knew to hold me at arm's length. So, shout out to Sing It Loud. You guys were, like, really normal <laughs> to me, and I do really appreciate that. But, yeah, there were, like, times when you just um, <laughs> knew <laughs> people in bands. A very fun story about Sing It Loud is that when I saw them opening for Cobra Starship, I didn't want to pay for coat checks. So, I saw them in, like, November in Montreal. So, like, obviously, I'm wearing a fucking parka. Yeah. And I was, like, a teenager, so I didn't have any money because <laughs> I had used it all to get to Montreal to see Cobra Starship. Um, but I had merch money that I didn't want to use on coat checks, so I bought a CD from Sing It Loud, and I was like, is it cool if I leave this at your table? And, like, the singer was fully the guy manning the table, and he was like, yeah, yeah, for sure, like, I'll write your name on it. And I was like, cool. Can I wrap my coat around it and leave that here? And, like, the look on his face as he was just like... Sure. <laughs> like, <laughs> that guy hated me. I'm so sorry that I did that to you and made you keep my entire coat there. I'm so sorry that all of my friends did it after. Um, but I appreciate it. I still have your album. <laughs> I think that means we did see Cobra Starship on the same tour then. Oh, yeah, probably. Was it also with... Um, Forever the Sickest Kids? Yes, Forever the Sickest Kids and yeah. uh, Hit the Lights. Hit the yeah. Lights, worst fucking crowd I've ever been in in my life. Worst one. Fuck yeah. Worst yeah. crowd. Yeah. Uh it was all normal until you're gonna need a body bag came on and we were swaying back and forth, almost tipping over. It was bad. It was so bad. <laughs> like literally no reason to go that hard for hit the lights. Um it was solidly like normal pop punk. <laughs> like they were fine. I had never heard of them until I had to stand through that show. To see Cobra, which again, this is besides the point, but call out posts for bitches in crowd and Cobra Starship crowds from back in the day who did not know the guilty pleasure dance and then gave me dirty looks when I did it in the crowd. Like, sorry that I went harder oh for Cobra Starship than you did. Sorry. Yeah, this is Montreal crowds in general. Sorry to the entire city of Montreal, but this is a call out post for you. Um, no one in Montreal dances at shows. That's absurd. Like, they fully just stand there. Uh, maybe it has changed since I stopped going to shows there because of this. Um, but, like, they just fucking stand mm. there. Like, New York crowds will get rowdy. But at the end of the day, they're still like, oh, we're New York about it. But then you go to a fucking Jersey crowd mm-hmm. and we know how to turn it. So, anyway, getting back to the actual point of all anyway. of this. <laughs> where did we leave off? Gym class. We left off gym class. Gym class. Yes. Pete uh, talking to Travis about gym class. So the inception of 
not the inception, like the kind of start point. No, that's that's the word inception. The cadence. That that that's that's yeah. the correct word. Don't worry, own it. <laughs> yeah. No. Okay. So the inception of decadence was like if that was pete meeting gym class and seeing them and like seeing the potential in them like the real moment like the real flashpoint was hearing panic at the disco and thinking like oh it's not just like i need to find the place for gym class heroes it's i need to find a place for gym class heroes i need to find a place for panic and like there's definitely more out there like this that are going to need a label and i'm the one Mm -hmm. who can do that and pete was Totally right on that front. Did he bring Brendan Urie into the world? Yes, he did. <laughs> and and for that, you, you know, know, we we just didn't know. I'm sure he's sorry, but <laughs> we just didn't know then. We just had no fucking clue. He couldn't have known. There's no way. He, but at the time, mm-hmm. you know, Brendan and Ryan were posting their demos on Pete's live journal and hoping that like either Pete's fans or Pete would see them and get them some buzz. And it turned out that Pete did see them. And I think Ryan emailed Pete because his aim was public at the time. Yeah. Like, his instant messenger. Oh, yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah. So like Pete's side of the story is like these dudes came onto our website and they were like, blah, 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 like something about me sucking or something. And they were like, check out Panic at the Disco. And I was like, I'm going to go check out this band and I'm going to come back here and tell them how shitty their band is. And I went and listened to them and I was like, this is good. I've got to sign them. <laughs> and then I was like, wait, I don't have a label. Uh, him and Travis from gym class went to Vegas together to see Panic. Oh shit, I didn't realize that Travi was there with Pete. Travi was there, it, yeah. Oh my god. Travis. He witnessed the meeting of the minds, the, the twink on twink <laughs> shit that happened. <laughs> The absolute crime that took place mm-hmm. in that room. But he saw them and he was like, this is it. This is something new. Uh, he says in this little oral history that these bands were like so hard to place because like one, like the radios didn't want gym class. When I came across Ryan Ross and Panic at the Disco, that was the real inception. We were like, this needs a home. This is some strange shit. All those original bands were hard to place and Fall Out Boy had a lot of experience with submitting our stuff to labels and being told we don't fit. I thought if I ever managed a band, I would do the opposite of that. You want to water a seed rather than tell it to be a different kind of flower. And Travis says, I was with Pete when we met them in Vegas and they hadn't even played a show yet. They had to get their shit together real quick. Mm -hmm. So the fact that they fully had not even played a show and within about a year, Pete turned that around to them, not only having recorded an album, but headlining a tour. Yeah. And selling the fuck out. I just don't think anyone like gives pete enough credit for what he did for panic at the disco i feel like a lot of new panic fans like newer i should say yeah they have their underdog storyline but without pete doing whatever machinations he was doing behind the scene like holy shit that it would never have been a thing i mean like Panic yeah. did really benefit from the fact that in the year of 2005 like circusy burlesque like aesthetics were really popular like that was peak moulin rouge we had you know britney circus stuff like that was going on Mm -hmm. and so like panic really benefited from sliding into that like wheelhouse and that kind of aesthetic uh seamlessly in a really cool way because the only other band that was like really doing as like stuff that sounded similar ish to panic was Dresden Dolls, I feel like. There's probably a couple other of the, the oh, yeah. Baroque pop 
bands out there, but it was really just Dresden Dolls doing that. And then, of course, you know, Dresden Dolls and Panic did go on tour together. Yes. Which, if you're... Guitar Hero sung yep. about Ryan Ross. Yep, fact. so if you were ever a Amanda Palmer fan, which I would be shocked if you were a early Panic fan and were not also a Dresden Dolls fan. Yeah, it was like the law. Yeah. I feel like a lot of early Panic stuff doesn't get talked about because even... And, like, not to mention TikTok, because I, like, but when you're on TikTok and you see Panic fans and they talk about old school Panic, they're talking about 2012. They're talking about after the band was already broken up, essentially. And it was, like, just kind of the Brendan show. Which is crazy to me, because I'm like, Brendan wouldn't even have the fucking Brendan show without A Fever You Can't Sweat Out and without Pretty Odd. Like, when you and I are talking about old school Panic, we're talking about, like, remember when they had two demos on pure yeah. volume? And, like, they weren't good. And for some reason, like, that blew them mm-hmm. up. It's insane to listen to that. Like, listen to the old, old demo of Time to Dance Now. And, like, Pete heard that and was like, okay, this is the next big thing. And it's like... Which I guess is, like, a unreal. benefit of being a music person that you can listen to a thing that sounds like absolute garbage and be like, oh, there's something here. Which is, like, a thing that they talk about a lot, even in Life on the Murder scene. Um, the My Kabuka Romance yeah. no, that's like, true. live documentary. Where I was like, they were so special, which is true. My Cup of Romance is so special. And they play the demos. I'm like, this sounds like dog shit. <laughs> like, this is bad. But, you know, I'm not a music professional. So I don't have the special ear for that. But props to Pete for realizing that, like, Time to Dance and Kamisato were going to be, like, it. I don't know. Just, like, this band had what I imagine must have been an unprecedented level of freedom, especially for a new recording artist, especially for a new recording artist that like the label did not have a lot of faith in. Yeah. Because Pete's manager and John Janik were both like, cool, this is going to sell maybe 3000 albums. Like if that, because the first half of the album is like electronic pop and it is so meta and they haven't even put the album out yet. And they're already like, lashing out against critics and they're already asserting what their place in the scene is going to be and where they're going to be in the discussion for ryan ross to be 17 and writing a song called london beckon songs about money written by machines long before the music scene is what it is yeah he predicted that and then the entire second half of the album is like a baroque orchestra and it fucks and it fucks it's just like and the like for the label to do this and say to pete you're not going to make money off of this. You're not going to earn your advance back. And then for it to go up and explode like it did. That takes such serious I vision. also think that the not to constantly keep bringing My Comic Romance up in this, but My Comic Romance was an influence for Panic at the Disco. As we all know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. My Chemical Romance makes me dance. The infamous <laughs> Ryan Ross Live Journal post. Um where I feel like My Comic Romance really ushered in an era of theatricality for emo and pop punk bands that uh, maybe they were too afraid of doing before, where the aesthetic value of everything matched the emotion being sung about, and Ryan Ross kind of just took that and fucking ran with it as well. Oh, yeah. Ran yeah. with it. It was all about makeup. It was about costumes. The rose vest. performance. <laughs> The rose vest, the hair, the the fucking painting an entire fucking Tim Burton movie mm-hmm. onto his face every night. It's hiring Lucid Dossier and doing a full-blown like circus performance every single night 
for Nothing Grimes with Circus Tour. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, un- I haven't seen anything like that before. I haven't seen anything like that. I've seen similar, but it wasn't the Speaking same. Speaking of which, I do still follow Katie K on Instagram, which it sucks now that she's basically a landlord, but <laughs> um, she's the kind of, come on. She, like, buys properties and makes them, like, really, really, really nice and then, like, puts them on Airbnb. That kind of person. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I have seen her. They They're are really nice. Lovely. Honestly, but, you know, like, fuck, fuck her, her for that. But, the fuck I forget what his name is. Uh, the ringleader of Lucent Dossier recently posted on Instagram stories like a uh, Throwback Thursday of all of the Nothing Grounds to Circus tour like behind the scenes photos, and like my chest hurt looking at them because I was oh God. obsessed with Lucent Dossier. Like I thought they were yeah. the coolest group. It's the it taps into like the Renaissance fair brain honestly, but like mm-hmm. I thought they were so fucking cool and like. That was a main impetus behind me really getting into panic was like, wow, this is theater. Which, by the way, if you don't know, Lucent Dossier is the circus troupe that was hired to tour with um, Panic at the Disco for Nothing Else's Circus Tour, as well as the featured performers in uh, I Rise and It's Not Tragedies, the music video. So when everyone comes in there, mm-hmm. I think like KDK is still in that video, the ringleader's in that video, um, Dusty's in that video. So like yeah. the main players, when you hear about like the old tour records of nothing around the circus like those are the people that they're talking about and they were fucking cool mm-hmm. <laughs> so cool it was so cool and uh, not like i miss when music got like music gets weird now but not in the way that it was in like 2006 no i mean you still see kind of like lady gaga would do things like this like she would adopt a persona and a look and a new sound for every era and have them be really defined mm-hmm. like that. Panic at the Disco was doing yeah. that from the start. Yeah. Like, I still remember, this is not even related to the inception of Decadence anymore, but, like, the tonal shift between Fury Can't Sweat Out and Pretty Odd, like, fucking oh, whiplash. Yeah. New band. New fucking band, which I was so big-brained and so enlightened and just so special because I was into music that sounded like that in 2008 so i wasn't mad at the change in panic sound i was mostly just mad at the lack of circus performers at that point yeah i had seen across the universe i knew about the beatles so i was ready i was ready to receive this album with across the universe was in fact my personality for around a year in 2008 i think so yeah i got into a lot of fights because i was fully out here like yeah i just think that the across the universe version of i want to hold your hand is better than the beatles version and i don't but you're right to say it um and i i i still think that i still Mm -hmm. believe that I know that, actually. I don't think or believe it. I know it. I observe it because it's true. <laughs> so getting back to the actual, uh, you know, point of this. Yeah, getting back to this, Spencer Smith agrees with you about my chem kind of opening the door. Thank you, Spencer. As well as Fall Out Boy. <laughs> Thanks for Thanks, for Spencer. <laughs> yeah, he said the fall that our record was coming out is when From Under the Cork Tree and Sugar We're Going Down came out. And that took off. That and My Chemical Romance really opened the door for all of our bands. All of our bands are successful on a big level due to Fall Out Boy and My Chem and those songs breaking on MTV. Yeah. Because, like, those were kind of... Those songs hit big, and suddenly society was ready to see boys in eyeliner and girl Mm -hmm. jeans. Uh, At least again. Because, like, well... Again, Because, like, you had... They had seen them, and then they got over them, and then they saw them again. And we were like, okay, we like it again. This is cool. This is... We're good. Maybe. I feel like probably not to get like incredibly deeply political about it, but like that is the nature of 
music and all art stuff, but boys in eyeliner getting popular and as a pushback always happens when there's a Republican president. <laughs> oh, 100%. 100%. Like, yeah. every single time yeah, no, it's exactly. because there's a Republican in office in America that boys in eyeliner are getting big again. Yeah. That's literally it. It's like, okay, fuck, like, Bush is in office again. Time for Green Day to write a rock opera. Get your fucking you know? wet and wild. Like, that's... <laughs> That's how music mm-hmm. works. And then once, you know, everything is a reaction to the thing that came before it. So we keep getting, like, these cycles and, like, music follows mm-hmm. suit. But yeah, like, watching these bands break big at that time, when, of course, when you're really malleable and your brain is still not fully done cooking and you see mm-hmm. big emotions being sung about in even bigger theatrical costumes, um, it, like fundamentally changes who you are as a person and it completely shapes the kind of things you're going to be into from that point on like you just don't leave emo (laughs) after that at all and you kind of keep liking the same thing over and over and over again because you liked emo at this time completely it is funny in this oral history to see gabe supporta uh come in gabe supporta of of course midtown uh midtown last tour before this current tour that they're on right now uh was actually supporting fallout boy right before they broke up and then gabe went on to form cobra starship which of course signed to decadence but gabe is quoted at this point in the oral history as saying when we started uh like when we started decadence my chem was the biggest thing in the world and they were so serious and so dramatic i love my chem don't get me wrong i grew up with those kids because they're both coming out of the new jersey scene uh but it's like hey smile once in a while <laughs> which which brings us to our, our next, next point. point which i'm so happy that you're all here for this it's gonna be a special segment on our pod where we take a minute out of every podcast to say that we hate mikey way <laughs> michael james way the bass player for my chemical romance i'm putting one minute on the clock and then we have yeah to or else we're gonna okay. keep going mikey way uh for the longest time did not smile he is the main uh, culprit of gabriel <laughs> Saying, hey, maybe yeah. you should smile once in a while. It's because Mikey Mikey Way did not show any emotion on his face from the years of maybe 2001 to, I want to say, 2014. 19. Not, mm, okay, that's, <laughs> that, that's more true. I was trying to be generous. We didn't really know what it was up to in 2014. He wasn't smiling during the Danger Days era. Mm, no. Was that, would you consider 2014 still the Danger Days era or no? No, that was post-Danger yeah. Days, actually. Hang on, the blood bank is fucking calling me, which uh, actually <laughs> brings point. us to the next thing that I wanted to say about his smile, which is that he has fucking mm-hmm. vampire teeth. We didn't know that for the longest time. He's got real-life vampire teeth. Why does he have those? That's always calls him a vampire. Because apparently... What's he doing with those? Biting? I, that was just my first thought. <laughs> I hate him. I hate him. He... He's certainly not... Okay, timer's oh, up. We have fuck. to stop talking okay. about Mikey. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so... Um, also, by the way, going back to Midtown, uh, I don't know, this is, we're recording this as of February 15th, 2023, um, and earlier today, or yesterday, Midtown posted a thing being like, after we reunite, people kept being like, can y'all release new music? And we were all like, now we're too old, which is so true. And Gabe is also (laughs) too busy having three kids and running his own, like, excuse me, oh my god, running his own, (laughs) um management label i don't know what tag music does i it might be a music label it might be management i don't it's a management company. i don't know but gabriel thinks yeah he manages artists he's a big deal now but 
they dropped a new EP of all their old songs that they never actually formally put out. And it is called We're Too Old to Write New Songs, so here's some old songs we didn't write. Midtown Population, Too Many. <laughs> it's only three tracks, which is so fucking funny. <laughs> but Fantastic move. Which, uh, this is also be a pivotal uh, portion for this going forward on this podcast i'm from new jersey i am from the area of new jersey that both gabriel and my chemical romance is from so when i talk about new jersey emo it is literally in my backyard (laughs) so it brings a very interesting flavor and dimension to all the things that i have to say yeah, I'm personally never going to get over us uh, watching Life on the Murder Scene and seeing literally your apartment. Yeah, that was really fucked up. <laughs> in some of their B-roll. <laughs> it's like I grew up uh, in the town where Gerard was born. And then my dad and like I grew up going and doing things in the town that like all of my chemical romance also grew up doing things in. I went to my childhood Barnes & Noble is the one that Mikey Way worked at. And I almost definitely was at that Barnes & Noble as Mikey Way was still working there, which is a really fucked up thing to think about. Also, this is a fun little story I can now tell on the pod. Um, my boyfriend's mm-hmm. brother tried to bum a cigarette off of Gerard one time. <laughs> Jesus Christ. How uh, Gerard said no, because this was during peak Black Parade and very clearly they were visiting home. But it was in the <laughs> Clifton Commons parking lot that this happened right by the Chevys. And he said, what? Hey, that's Gerard Way. I'm going to go see if I can Yeah, he asked for a cigarette first and then got the photo. What the fuck? What the fuck? Fucking North Jersey is too small. (laughs) That's actually an insane way to go Mm -hmm. about that. I feel like you have to do one or the other. It's, hey, man, can I have a cigarette? Or it's, I recognize you. No, but he did both. If you're doing both, you're (laughs) insane. Like, you're crazy. Like, so fucking stupid. Oh um, my god. Anyway, moving on from New Jersey, we we can't even get into that properly right now. We return to Chicago for a moment. <laughs> Let's go back to the blustery Chicago, the the big windy city. Because the band that they signed to Decadence post gym class post Panic was the Hush mm-hmm. Sound, and that was brought to Pete by Ryan Ross. Yeah, because like they're Pete's grandbabies. It's, like, really fucked up to see, like, how much, like, Pete valued Brian Ross's opinion about things at a certain point. <laughs> like, it does mm-hmm. make my chest oh, hurt. Yeah. But. Because, like, Ryan Foley was like, hey, here's the pure volume of some kids who are going to a Catholic prep school in Chicago. They're making, like, weird folk music. It's all very narrative. No two songs quite sound the same. It's very piano driven. Here it is. And Pete signed mm-hmm. them. You know? And, like, Spencer talks about it a little bit. Says there was a weirdness to them, an element where they were just a little bit different. One aspect that was always a little off, in a good way. Within a couple years, the Hush Sound was opening for us, and we were able to take them under our wing the way Fall Out Boy had done for us. And also, like, the Hush Sound never got the flowers that they deserved. Ever. At all. At all. And it makes me no, so sad. I sort of remember very, 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 very fondly. Not fondly, I mean, um, vividly. The day that they broke up. Like, I was inconsolable that day. I was so sad. Even in this history, Travis says, I listened to the Hush Sound's first EP to this day. And shout out to Greta for real. Make sure you print that. So I'm making sure that we say it. Shout out to Greta for mm-hmm. real. And she really deserves to hear it because uh, in the past couple years, she had 
like awful trauma happened to her vocal cords and she can't sing the same anymore and she and like when she sings now it doesn't sound the way that it used to still beautiful voice she's like done a lot of work and a lot of like training to get her voice back to a performing standard and it's stunning and she deserves to be told all the time that she's a phenomenal musician and artist and that she deserves far more respect and attention and love than she is given so do yourself a favor Absolutely. and go listen to the hutch sound and go support greta's uh greta salpeter's solo stuff it fucks if you're yeah. honestly like really just genuinely if you're into like boy genius phoebe bridgers lucy dacus uh julian baker that whole thing like hush sound is a little bit sonically a little bit different but same within the same like you know spiritual like genre of it all and you're gonna fucking love yeah. it especially the songs that are like really led by greta i don't know if you've ever done a tumblr web weave post to any Phoebe Bridgers lyric, you need to go listen to That's Okay by The Hush Sound and have your shit completely rocked by the line, if somebody loved you, they'd tell mm -hmm. you by now. Put it on your next post, because it's good. It's a good lyric. It's a good it's song. It's crazy good. And it's even crazier that they were on the soundtrack <laughs> for the movie of 2006, because the journey of Decadence continues on to my favorite movie of all time, uh, Snakes on a Plane. In 2006. It needs to be said, if you were not <laughs> cognizant in 2006, like, sure, maybe, you, maybe you're maybe you a young emo fan now. Like, you're in your, like, late teens or whatever, and, like, you had an older sibling who got you into the band, or, like, TikTok made you go crazy, and you only hear this talk, too, like, in, in past. The chokehold that Snakes on a Plane had on us as a society cannot be understated. You literally don't You don't know. fucking understand. It was crazy. It had Samuel L. Jackson in it. It was about a plane that had snakes on it. And it, like, could never be made now. Like, it is so firmly a 2006 movie. And it, it should have gotten an Oscar. It should have. And this movie is important because this movie is the first soundtrack that Decadence did that really, really catapulted them into, like, proper label territory. And it's also the movie that let them kind of get a wedge between Gabe Saporta and his old label, Columbia, which is where he was signed with Midtown, so that they could get Gabe out of there and into Decadence with Cobra Starship and be one of, like, the foundational Decadence bands. Mm -hmm. Like, the start of Cobra Starship, uh, besides the actual, like, nitty-gritty of, like, we have to, we have to save Gabe... Gabe likes to tell the story of that he did a bunch of like ayahuasca and shrooms and like wandered into a desert and got a vision about him starting a band called Cobra Starship. Like, mm -hmm. sure, I, I part of me believes that did happen, but also part of me was like, you just made up a fucking story because you didn't want to talk about like corporate mumbo jumbo. But oh, for sure, <laughs> you know, like how all these other bands at the time definitely had a thesis, like this band will save your life, mm -hmm. etc. Like, the thesis of Cobra Starship was really, like, you guys need to chill the fuck out and have fun sometimes. Like, you all think that you're too cool for pop music, and you're not. You need to fucking have fun sometimes and dance. And you need to do it in the ugliest clothes ever. Like, the reason why scene looks the way that it does is because Gabe Saporta put on that purple American Apparel zip-up hoodie and changed lives. All right? He brought neon into De it. Truly and honestly, without Cobra Starship, there would be no scene kids. No. 
he invented that. Sh- I mean, maybe Broken Side would have done something. But it, it would have been, been the same. same and Broken Side sucks it would ass. not have been as good. <laughs> the music wasn't good and the people in the band are even worse. And Gabe Saporta and yeah. the rest of Cobra Starship are actually all talented musicians. That's true. And they had a keytar. They had a fucking They keytar. committed. Band, band of, of all time. All band fucking of time. all fucking time. Anyway. Like, this mm. is the thing for me that makes Decadence really be the label that was bringing shit together. Because you could kind of get away with... Um, you know, saying like, oh yeah, like gym class, like I'm listening to rap ironically, because mm-hmm. that's how you had to couch everything when you were like 14 and emo and like everyone was racist. That's how I was listening to gym class. Yeah. <laughs> to be couched um, in irony. Or you could say like, oh, like I listen to like folk or whatever because my parents really like Bob Dylan or whatever, you know, like just like stupid shit like that to like say, yeah, Pete's given us permission to listen to this shit, but like, you know. Like, there's still a little bit of, I don't know, stigma around listening to different mm-hmm. genres. Cobra Starship made it okay to listen to pop music. And also fully without Gabe support of making that genre transition from, you know, quintessential New Jersey emo to, like, dance music, um, you wouldn't have mm-hmm. Skrillex. No, you literally wouldn't. No, no. And in the oral history of Decadence, which is, like, really our big mm-hmm. source on this, Greta from fucking the hush sound talks about being on tour with from first to last talking to Sonny Moore who would go on to become Skrillex and him saying like I don't know what I'm doing in a hardcore band like I want to be making music like Aphex Twin I want to be making like dance music and now he does like I don't know shit was just opening up in the scene at this point because of like the people that Pete knew the people that he was willing to bring Mm -hmm. in to the label and like the risks that they were willing to take because that was a fucking risk at the time to make dance music Mm -hmm. like (laughs) in that scene like you would have been fucking laughed out of the crowd and somehow gave support a like convinced everyone that it was okay to listen to fucking snakes on a plane (laughs) bring it and to see snakes on a plane see it it's honestly really funny to listen to them talk about this movie because like pete is saying like we'd always talked about movie soundtracks and like this comes up in follow-up way interviews all the time. They're fucking obsessed with movies, like Pete especially. They've always talked about wanting to do a movie soundtrack. Um, I think Patrick does movie and series scores now um, because he just like has a passion for doing that. Um, and Pete is saying, we've always talked about movie soundtracks. To me, they were really important. And it was a weird time pre-Twilight where they were, for a brief second, not important. I love that he name drops mm-hmm. Twilight here as being a movie that made soundtracks important again because they absolutely fucking are. Um, I remember JD was like, yo, we could do the soundtrack for Snakes on a Plane. I was like, what is Snakes on a Plane? Then he explains the concept of the movie and I was like, oh, we have to do this. This movie is insane. Which, again, <laughs> this movie is about snakes on a motherfucking plane. <laughs> and them talking about Adam Siska from The Academy Is, who were originally signed to FBR and then moved to the imprint, moved on to Decadence. Adam Siska called and said there's a movie called snakes on a plane that might be the worst movie of all time we have to try to get our song on it <laughs> which like adam siska kindred fucking spirit that is exactly the move that oh, i'm absolutely. making this movie looks like shit how do i get on there yeah and jonathan daniel pete's manager is saying a friend of mine was the music supervisor for the movie so i called and said can we get a song in he said there wasn't going to be songs just a score but i convinced him to let us do the entire soundtrack <laughs> so we went to gabe who we knew had the name Cobra Starship and we knew was workshopping a song called Bring It. And we said, here's how we get you off your fucking label. Mm-hmm. 
but you are gonna have to make this song be about snakes on a plane. <laughs> and then, by God, <laughs> Gabriel supported did it. I love this bit. He wasn't super happy with me at the time, but he was a team. And player. then it ends up being the greatest meeting of the minds to ever happen. Like, fuck the band. Fuck uh, what other supergroups are there in the world? The sounds of animals fighting. Super M. Super M. <laughs> LS dudes. Like, fuck all of them. Uh, <laughs> fuck all of them. Because you got Gabe Saporta, you got Travis McCoy, you got William Beckett, and then Maya. You've got I don't Maya remember her last name from The Sounds. Iverson. Iverson, there we go, from The Sounds. Um, I don't know how she made it on there, but, you know, whatever. Uh, and. Yeah, she was. I truly do not know how she got involved because she was not on Decadence and she was from like Sweden. Like they made a couple good songs. I like tried to listen to the sounds after that. Oh, absolutely. Because... But it's like, how did you? How did we? How did we meet you? I'm still honestly not clear on how she arrived to be part of it. I know that like, <laughs> Travi is like, yeah, like I like her, and it's like, how did you know her? I, like it's fascinating to me that she ended up on there and not like, you know, Haley Williams. Who was on Fueled by Ramen at the time? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I don't know. She would have been what, like sixteen or seventeen yeah, something or something. Like that. But she was she, she was, was young. A baby. Maybe she just like was not allowed to be part of Snakes on a Plane. Maybe her parents were <laughs> you like, can't "You do can't that, do actually. a horror movie soundtrack." I'm Are so we sorry. really calling Snakes on a Plane a horror movie? No. <laughs> no, it's something. It's like I don't know what the fuck genre. It's this like movie the is. same genre as Sharknado. Animals in places they I mean, shouldn't be one, in. <laughs> if there's one thing that we've established in this podcast, it's that genres, yeah, genres don't, don't matter. fucking matter. But at the same time, <laughs> they matter more than anything. But also, no. they're not real. Just like gender. But, but you know. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. My favorite part of Snakes on a Plane is not that the fucking cash sound wine red is on this soundtrack for no absolute reason. Um, it's the bit where they're talking about how the plan is to put snakes on the plane. And... <laughs> Like, this one guy's talking to this mob member, and he's like, are you sure that this is what we want to go through with? Like, what if it doesn't work? And he's like, do you think I haven't exhausted every other option? <laughs> it's like, yeah, I do think that. Because there's no way that this is easier than just shooting this guy with a gun. But no, we have to get snakes through TSA. We have to get the fucking snakes through TSA. And they did. They did it. They do it in the music video. We see how they do it. Imagine, I don't think Snakes on the Plane could have been made in, in a world where 9-11 didn't happen. <laughs> Snakes on a Plane could fucking happen in a world where 9-11 didn't happen, like in real life. <laughs> That's so true. Do you think we would have airport security at all? I that feel that we would no. have airport security if someone tried to release Snakes on a Plane, though. We would after. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> But that would be the inciting incident. And it would fully just be like, do you have snakes in your suitcase? <laughs> Take yes your no. shoes off. Do you have snakes in your suitcase? <laughs> do you have snakes in your shoes? Yeah. Get out of here. Um, if you haven't watched Snakes on a Plane or the music video for Snakes on a Plane, um, I would encourage you to watch both or, or one of those things, which is mostly the music video, which is so absurd and so stupid. And uh, Samuel L. Jackson is in it as well as Pete. They got Samuel L. Jackson to yeah. show up, like, for 15 minutes on set. And then they make, you know, like, a hit song. And they go to the red carpet of the Snakes on a Plane premiere. <laughs> oh, 
four of them. They go to the red carpet of the Snakes on a Plane premiere. It's really funny to see Travi talk about this because he's like, this movie fucking sucked. And it's like, yeah, dog. Yeah, um, it's a movie called Snakes says, on a Plane. Would you fucking think you were getting a new? <laughs> he said the video came out awesome. It was better than the movie, to be honest with you. It's which so is true. true. Yeah, don't even um, bother watching the movie. Honestly, don't watch the music video. Skip straight to the credits. Um, I saw that shit in theaters specifically because I was like, I need to see my best friends, Gabe Saporta and Travi McCoy and William Beckett and Peter Wentz on a movie screen. Mm-hmm. And I did. So like I had exactly the experience that I wanted. And to you got to see Snakes on a Plane out of it. Yeah, exactly. But th- to think that without Snakes on a Plane, Gabe would have been stuck at Columbia. <laughs> Gabe would have been stuck at Columbia. We would not have Cobra Starship mm-hmm. the way that we have it today. He would have had to do that at Columbia, possibly with less musical freedom than he had at Decadence because Decadence was fully just being run by like his friend Pete who was like yeah sure you can make music that is dance and has a guitar and also you can make a music video where you pretend to be bar mitzvah video shooters like that's fine yeah it's like I don't know it's just like every band that he put on this label with the exception of like the Academy is who had existed on Feel by Ramen before yeah. that and like the cab who were kind of solidly like normal pop punk it was all these bands who you would look at and be like, who the fuck is the audience for this? Like, we have not seen any demand out of the music scenes that we're, like, moving in for someone to come up on stage with an accordion or for someone to come up on stage and do, like, a narrative song with folk guitar, you know? They're... Or to do dance music. I forgot that Millionaires was on Decadence. Or Millionaires. People fucking... You have to understand one thing about this podcast, you guys. Is that this is a millionaire's apologist and support group. Those girls have nothing to apologize for. (laughs) They made music. They made tunes. (laughs) They made bops. They made spoken word poetry. Who else was on Decadence at a certain point? Four Years Strong was on Decadence. Four Years Strong. Cues What We Aim For. Well, I want to say right now, Cues What We Aim For in 2016 was maybe the weirdest show I've ever been to in my life. In fucking 2016? I, yeah, I on purpose. Who was even in the band at that point? Was it just Sean I by think himself? so. I was never that big of a Cuse Game for a fan, so I only recognized Sean. Which is a really funny show that we went to because this is before, like, this is back when making the Make America Great Again, like, MAGA slogans was funny before we realized, oh shit, this is a dog whistle for fascism now. Um, uh-huh. So, Cuse yeah. Me brought a shirt. People see this from far away and don't think yeah. it's funny. Uh, it was a bright red shirt that said, uh, Make America Cute Again, which was cute before Trump was elected, because it was right before Trump was elected. And it was a lot of, like, very clearly Shan had spent too much time in LA, and, like, every between every single song was, like, a motivational like speaking thing i think he really thought he was like a, a lance, Ar- lance armstrong circa oh live strong era <laughs> like it was really intense and then also in the middle of the show uh some girl like got her friend to like hoist her up in the crowd and started yelling at shant about the fact that she was sexually assaulted and stuff like that and said that it was shant's fault even though it wasn't an accusation, but he was somehow tied to the whole thing because her abuser listened to cues what we aim for um, and blamed Shant for everything. Yeah, it was really weird. And then also we met someone in line who apparently was like really good friends with Shant in the way that like, yeah, you're really good friends, but you still have to buy a ticket to his show kind of thing, who wore like athletic 
rib knit white gym socks with a pair of Gucci loafers. Fantastic. Wore this with, I think, chinos and Gucci sunglasses straight out of like 2003, like the visor kind. And then we found out we went to college with him, which was very weird. <laughs> it was a, I felt like I was on acid the whole time that I was at that show. And I wasn't. That's an insane experience. It was crazy. And also, I think it's important to recognize that this was happening in Philadelphia. <laughs> Jesus. So, anyway. <laughs> I just needed to tell that story. It Like, I still think about that dude's <laughs> socks and loafers all the time. They sound It awful. was so, like, the lumpy kind of socks. Like, the ones that get, like, pilly and gray and gross and they're not white anymore. Fully wearing them with a pair of, like, women's loafers. See, I don't know. I just, I can't. There's some loafers that I'm like, that's fine. And there's some loafers that I'm like, if I see you wearing that shit in front of me, I'm going to have to. And it was like that, except that we kept hanging out with him in line. So I was like, I can't beat you up in the crowd now. (laughs) But you deserve to get jumped like just a little bit. (laughs) A little bit. Where else are we now in the Decadence? I I got distracted looking at the list of people that were on the record. But fully like on this list of people who were making the most interesting music on there was Cobra... Gym class, Hush Sound, Panic, then Travia's yeah, his own thing, Travis and millionaires stuff, yeah, honestly, and millionaires. <laughs> I'll say that much, yeah, because the rest of them like they're all like really good, like Ready Set, fucking like slaps, uh, For Your Strong. I rarely still listen to For Your Strong, like they're good, but they don't have the same kind of you know specific flavor that yeah. the original like four or five bands had. Um, also, it turns out mm-hmm. Max was on Decadence yeah. or is currently on Decadence, yeah. which is weird because he is so far up K-pop's asshole that I'm like, oh, so you're the like you're the bridge on this gap between these two yeah. things. You. Like, the first time I heard him, I was like, oh, this is fully just like, I don't know, like kind of vaguely European pop mm-hmm. music because like it doesn't sound quite like American pop music. And imagine my fucking shock that, you know, cuddling up with BTS and shit. Yeah, I mean, like he's he's putting anybody on his label like not anybody as in like just any old person but like any Mm -hmm. sound as long as he thinks that it can go somewhere he's like yeah there's a place for this and it's on my label it's on my little island of Mm -hmm. misfit toys and it really was like a little like cool club because i remember like yeah i okay so when of course i was 14 15 and i was like when i turned 21 I'm going to go to Angels and Kings for my 21st birthday and I'm going to see all the all the Decadence people there and it's going to be so special. And then by the time that I turned 21, Angels and Kings fully got shut down because they were serving um, alcohol to minors illegally in New York City. Yeah, you didn't even have to wait until you were 21. You could have gone there I whenever. really could have and I probably should have. It's good that you didn't. But... Because I'm certain that bad things happened at that bar. But Angels and Kings was the bar uh, owned by Pete Wentz. Or co-owned by P. Once in yes. New York. Yes. Uh, any single time you see uh, an old photo of a band person uh, in front of like the mugshot like height thing, that was taken at Angels and Kings. The photos of Ryan Ross at his twenty-first yeah. birthday party taken at Angels and Kings. Like, yeah. if there was any sort of significant event and it looked like a party scene and it was at a bar, it was at Angels and Kings. It is a very very seminal location uh for most of third wave emo history 
may she rest in peace yeah like like if decadence was built as like a clubhouse angels and kings was like the literal Mm -hmm. clubhouse absolutely so snakes on a plane Mm -hmm. kind of solidified decadence as like a real player (laughs) weirdly enough um because they put out this soundtrack they had this like weird power to get samuel l jackson into a music video to get a band a single before they were officially Mm -hmm. signed um and they were doing decadence festivals they did one in yeah. London and they did one in Paris. Fuck, I forgot all about those. Yeah, which was like just all the Decadence bands. Pete said it wasn't so much a fest as it was one long mm-hmm. show. And it was kind of a snapshot because every band was in a different stage of the same trajectory. This is something that was really interesting to me then that I remember thinking even when I was like a teenager watching Decadence kind of happen was thinking there's like pretty obvious tiers of like fame level and success level. And... Like, you can see Fall Out Boy kind of at the top, and you can see them actively working to pull all these bands up with them. Like, it was never like, okay, we've made it, we got ours, fuck all you guys. It was, okay, we've made it, and they had barely made it. How can we share this success with, like, everyone in our scene? How can we find people like us who are struggling to find a label that appreciates their sound and do to them what FBR did for us? Absolutely. Like, you see Travi saying, like, we'd all be on each other's songs, or Patrick would come out on tour and sing mm-hmm. with us. I'd come out and freestyle with them. It was very, very gangish. I, especially during, I forget what year of Warp Tour it was, when it was very specifically the Academy is Cobra Starship and Gym Class all in the same summer's lineup. Like, the amount... It would have been 2006 or seven. Like, the amount of photos you have, like, it was expected that at a certain point that any of those dudes were going to get on stage with each other. And of course, they took the opportunity to play Snakes on a Plane as often as they could because, you know, they actually had everyone there at the right time to perform it. Exactly. And, like, that's so cool. And that was the thing I really valued, honestly, with that, was just Mm -hmm. seeing a a level of camaraderie that was not common anywhere else. Of course, like, it was not as common in other areas of the scene because, like, I mean, you still had... Gerard and Bert doing a cover of uh, Under Pressure and like and showing up on each other's stages like occasionally um, but not to the level that like Decadence was doing stuff it's like literally you listen to any Decadence band and it's like oh there's Patrick oh there's mm-hmm. Brendan you know like just appearing on each other's songs like to hear Brendan on the Cabs album to hear Patrick on literally all of Cobra Starship's yep. second and then you album. hear William you even hear William Beckett on Run of the Cork Tree you hear him on Sophomore Slump Comeback of the year. Yeah, he's he's in there. He's on Cute is What We Aim For, his mm-hmm. debut album. He's, and you get fucking all of them on What a Catch Donnie from Folia Do. Credited as collaborators for once, because other times it was never credited as a feature. Yeah, no, it was just like, you're going to hear him and you're going to yeah, know. Because like... I know you bitches are all listening to the exact same bands. And it's so funny mm-hmm. because like you think about how it was basically one big band at a certain point, just making stuff it, i would argue follow with me on this one k-pop is out there this mm-hmm. one's for you also that decadence <laughs> was the nct of pop punk no that's not even a joke that's actually just true like that's just if true. you are a person who's listening to this and doesn't understand that reference nct is a k-pop group that is uh, comprised of 23 men and there's different subunits underneath it and they all like switch around like what members are doing things with like certain other members and all that kind of thing it's nuts 
But we don't have time to get into all of that. But basically, Decadence. No, we absolutely do. We do have time. Because wasn't it like a recent show? They were like, NCT isn't just the guys on stage. NCT is everyone in the crowd. And they were like, oh, okay, wow. Like, everyone in the world is in NCT. We all have to take turns. You being are human in a first and NCT second. <laughs> that is what Decadence was. Because they were like, it's not just a label, it's a fan community, it's a fan club, it's a gang, it's an empire. Everyone in the audience was part of this mm -hmm. thing that was so noticeably different from every other part of the music scene at the time. Like, fuck, it was just so good. It was so good, and I genuinely really do miss it. Like, it harkens back to, like, not to bring K-pop into it again, but there's been this issue with K-pop where idols can't be friends with each other anymore if they're in different groups. Um, that kind of happened mm -hmm. a couple years ago, and like now we're finally starting to get out of that again, where idols can be friends with each other again. And like even if it was cross-label stuff, they were constantly collaborating, constantly doing things with one another. And it got like very sorely missed at a certain point, and that's kind of what I really miss out of the scene now. And even like what even I want to say like 2010, 2011, we really lost that when Decadence stopped signing new people. Like that sense of camaraderie and yeah. um, I keep saying the word camaraderie again, but it's good. It's a good word. It's it just is. like kind of gone. Like a sense of community was lost and it's a bummer. But I think that it's also partly because of how different social media was. Yes, absolutely. Because right? like, I don't know, it, it, we're in a weird time where like everyone says like, yeah, artists are more accessible They're than not. ever. But like <laughs> that specific era felt so much more accessible mm -hmm. than it does now. And I wonder if it's just because social media was so new that people didn't have like managers yet who were tweeting for them. Like they were, they were just out there. Like you were I talking feel to them. Like with the scene then, there wasn't a really huge sense of ego yet that had been developed. Of course, like that's not to say a blanket statement all around because there's definitely some people who like got egos, but. Everyone was coming mm -hmm. from that basement, hardcore, second wave emo scene where, you know, the basement shows us the stage is on the exact same level as the crowd. The crowd is around the band, the band is in the crowd, and everyone is in this together. And it's a simultaneous moment that you're all sharing and a sense of catharsis. And it was a great equalizer. And um, mm -hmm. Kate, not K-pop, hello. <laughs> brain fought um and so when you got them on social media it was kind of the same place where pete was like yeah absolutely you can have my fucking aim name and we can talk because it yeah. was basically an extension of hanging out and talking after the show that uh everyone was still just approaching it as these are my friends these are my friends who hang out after shows and it's cool now that i can talk to them anytime and anywhere and doesn't have to just be you know, when I'm in their city. And it mm -hmm. definitely became an issue with the kind of like groupie scene that happened with um, emo mm -hmm. and specifically. But yeah, and no one knew how to handle social media as well. There wasn't a lot of marketing strategies yet. Um, everyone was still kind of like figuring mm -hmm. it out. And there's a level of authenticity that is completely gone now completely gone because it's yep. been you know capitalized to absolute shit and back so yeah i also feel that like what fall out boy did when they released citizen for our betterment in the lead up to folio do wouldn't have been possible on today's internet 
in the slightest in the slightest no and citizens for our betterment was definitely a continuation of the influence that hip-hop had on pete and the kind of the in the instigating like idea and uh philosophy behind decadence in the first place where everyone was getting in there this mixtape that dropped uh i don't think besides like I, I don't think besides like the punk goes genre albums, there was no other thing like that that happened in this scene that wasn't also like a label sampler, because labels put out samplers. Yeah, exactly. All the time. Like you'd occasionally get yeah, you'd get like a label sampler. You get a split EP, which like fully no. nobody fucking does yeah. anymore. Kind of miss that. But yeah, they released a mixtape, which is fully something that like had existed in rap and hip-hop and really did not exist in this way in Mm-mm. any other genre. And the really cool thing about Citizens for Our Betterment, it was, because it was tied with um, an ARG, which if you're not familiar with ARGs, that's an alternative reality game. Yeah, we're coming for Marn and Andrew's throne here. There's, there's new <laughs> Argonauts in town, but it's only about the <laughs> Fall Out Boy game. <laughs> Um, where their bands release songs under different names, and part of the fun was guessing, like, who was doing what. Like, some of the stuff that was on there ended up being inevitably put out. Some of them weren't. Some of them were just, like, straight-up teasers, like, for the Academy Is and the Hush Sound. Yeah. But then Panic! at the Disco released Nearly Witches underneath the name, the Paul Revere Jumpsuit Apparatus, which I still think is, like, the funniest. It's really funny. And the demo version of Nearly Witches that we have is very different from the full version of it that we have on vices and virtues i really prefer the demo i love the lore surrounding nearly which is finally being published published hello being put out properly recorded but we'll go with that after ryan yeah, left published. the band i think there's a lot of juicy stuff there but it was not nearly mm. as good because there was no ryan anymore and that was like yeah. the 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 perfect lead exactly. up to because we were mentioning earlier about how all these bands kind of just kept featuring on each other's shit no matter what and then you know the mixtape for citizens for our betterment which Mm -hmm. is incredibly political because it was the lead up to the obama versus mitt romney election (laughs) it was coming at the tail end of the bush administration yeah they initially planned to drop Folia Do on election day and I think postponed it by like a day or a couple days because yeah they were like no like actually maybe that's a bad idea but it's it's a song it's a not a song mm-hmm. it's an album about the Bush administration essentially but it's mm-hmm. also an album about Fallout Boy's history absolutely and how those two things are tied together and you know we get that last song I mean, it's not the last song, but we get, we get What a Catch Donnie featuring. The worst sequencing mistake ever made in the history of music was making What a Catch Donnie like at the top of the album and not the closer. Should have been the very end. Anyway, now you can continue about the features. Yeah, that should have been <laughs> the needed, very end. It needed to be said. Um, yeah. <laughs> but we get them featuring like a ton of Decadence artists on there. You get uh, Alex DeLeon from The Cab. You get William Beckett from The Academy Is. Brendan from Panic! at the Disco. Fuck, who else? Elvis Costello. There? Elvis Costello. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was the big that one. Was the that big was the big one. Like... Not a Decadence artist, but he could have been. And Travi. Travi from Gym Class. And that album, also not just on What a Catch Johnny, but also they got Lil Wayne. Yeah. They got <laughs> on uh, it. Pharrell as well to mix a song. And Pharrell. Honestly, like, even, like, looking at Just Infinity on High, that kind of 
fully like Jay-Z and Babyface. And then the Jay-Z opening to uh, Infinity on High. Yeah. So fucking iconic. So good. Exactly. Like Pete Wentz has always wanted to run his shit like a hip hop collective. And like mm-hmm. he did. He did. To not really to the end, but like post Fully Ado was really like Fall Out Boy took a break and Decadence also took a break, kind of. Yeah. Because like, because it was Pete's, it was Pete's thing. Yeah. So when Pete took a pause and Fall Out Boy took a pause, kind of Decadence took a pause. And once Fall Out Boy, honestly, like once Fall Out Boy took their pause and uh, Panic Split, that was kind of the beginning of the end. Yeah. For Decadence and Feel by Ramen, I think, as a whole, or like what we knew Feel by Ramen as when we were teenagers. Mm-hmm. And then we didn't see a relaunch until about 2014. When uh, Wentz relaunched the label as DCD2, keeping on all the old artists, um, they also signed some new ones. And Spencer Smith from Panic at the Disco, their drummer, uh, he had left the band, I think, around either just before or right after the release of Too Weird to Live, Too Young to Die. Yeah, I think he he left, like, just before. Yeah. I think that was, I think that was the first Brendan-only album. Yeah. And uh, the original lineup. Well, not Brendan-only, Dallin is on that album. Dallin is on yeah, that album. Yeah, because Dallin but, wrote uh, Boys, Boys, Girls. Yeah, yeah. Which needs to be said. Yeah. That that's not Brendan's song. Yeah, Dallin wrote that song about his pansexual wife. And if Brendan Urie tells you anything different, he's fucking lying. Fucking lying. Because um, Brendan Urie always says, oh, it's about my bi wife. It's not. Sure. But it's not. <laughs> like, you can say that. You can think about that when you sing it. But that's not who wrote it. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No. And especially now that uh, Brendan is officially done with Panic, I think we all need to... Everybody needs to fucking give Dallin Weeks some credit for putting up with him as long as he did. Yeah. But we don't have time to get into all that. We don't. Because we are talking <laughs> about... episode. Decadence. And how we saw their rise, and then we saw their fall post-Fully Adieu, and then we saw their relaunch, and we are, I think, coming close to seeing another rise. Yes. Because we've got the Academy is talking about touring again, and they are still signed to Decadence. We've got uh, Travi McCoy talking about making new music. He is still signed to Decadence. And we've got Fall Out Boy putting out a new album through Decadence with their old producer, Neil Avron. So I think that we're seeing a big resurgence. Mm -hmm. And that does kind of fall in line with this huge nostalgia wave for emo and pop punk that has been on the upswing ever since Mike Hem announced that they are getting back together and the subsequent My Chemical Romance reunion tour mm-hmm. and with When We Were Young Fest. Yeah. Which is a, th- a thing that we're going to talk about a lot. Yeah. A lot in this podcast because it kind of shit is cyclical and <laughs> now it's coming back. It's happened before and it's happening again. Uh, it is really interesting though to see all these bands say, you know, we're, we're not looking to make a nostalgia record. Like, that's not what we're trying to do. Pete has said when he signed Nothing Nowhere, like an emo rapper to Decadence or to DCD2 when they relaunched, said like he's looking at the past, but he's looking at it in like a futuristic way instead of a nostalgic way, you know? Mm-hmm. Which is such an interesting way of looking at it. And I think that that's how all these bands that are coming back have to be looking at it. Like, they're not saying we're trying to go back. They have to be saying, here's what we already did and how are we learning from that and how are we either building from that or completely scrapping it and starting over instead of just writing stuff that sounds like 
anything they wrote before or going the the route that midtown just did being like hey no we're not putting out new music we love that you yeah we love that you love that we're back here's some old shit we didn't do yeah listen to our influences and it'll be really interesting to just see how this continues developing further and further especially with this i'm looking at you the academy is the academy is i got my eyeball on you i don't know what the fuck you're doing but you're up to something and I'm not manifesting a lot, but I am manifesting the Academy is either new music or tour again. I'm certain that they're going to be touring again. Yeah. Like, I'm just... Outside I'm of just... Certain. And I'm pretty sure that they're going to be having new music coming out. Because I will never forgive them for not touring for Santi like they did for Almost Here. I will never forgive them. They toured for Santi. No, they didn't. Yeah, they did. They did not do a... They did not do a Santi reunion tour. I would have been there oh, if they had. Oh, a reunion tour. Okay, yeah. okay. I thought you meant, like, no, going no. on tour supporting Santi. I'm like, oh. uh, they for sure no, did. No, 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 I mean, <laughs> like, a 15-year anniversary thing that they did not do, and it was heartbreaking, which I think they didn't do that because they're, like, after they did the Almost Here reunion tour, they played front to back and then played the hits from Santi, and they're like, all right, that's good enough. Incredible. Whatever. Good for them. But, and that, I think, brings us to present-day Decadence, where they're active again, it exists, and it, we're going to report on it when Fall Boy puts out their new album. Yeah, I think that's also yeah. kind of a good tone setter for who we are and what we're interested in talking about. Because, like, that's the that's the squad, that's the crew. Those are the main pop girls. Yeah. and that's who we're going to continuously talk about over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Unless we're talking about My Cup Romance. Yeah. <laughs> But besides that, and we will don't even don't even don't, fucking worry about it. Don't worry about it. We have so much to say about that. But yeah, <laughs> um, if you enjoyed that, please feel free to, you know, spread the word, share the tweet, listen to us wherever you let your podcast from. And if those podcast channels happen to have a review service, give us a little review. Give us a shout out. And thank you so much to Moonshot Network Podcasts for taking a chance on us and giving us a new home Yeah, for all of our shit. Especially thanks to uh, Riley and Marn, who were our little concierges as we were joining the network <laughs> and for being so helpful. Thanks to everyone on the Moonshot Discord who was so welcoming to us when we first slipped in there to say hi. It's looking great. The future is bright. The future is bright. Listen to other, uh, our other friends on the Moonshot Network. And we'll catch you on the next episode of So Emo I Fell Apart. See ya. Bye. 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42. Andrew, Andrew, what are you doing? Oh, hey, Marn. Uh, so I'm playing through an alternate reality game, and there's a number station puzzle that we just can't solve. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I tried everything else, and I figured that the best way to solve it would be to get into its head and think like a number station. I've been saying numbers into microphones for hours. Okay, well, I I think I have a better idea. What's that? You could just listen to the Argonauts podcast. Every two weeks, I could let you know the ins and outs of old args and give you a deep dive on how they were created. Uh, Do you think we could like have a nuanced discussion about game-making philosophy and how cultures around games have changed as well? Yeah, and you can definitely continue to fail to solve old args along the way. Well, it sure would be cool if that was a podcast you could find to bung with a bunch of other great shows over on the Moonshot Network. You know, it sure would. <laughs> well, cool. Thanks for the invite. Uh, anyways, I'm going to get back to this, though. 23. 19. Okay. 